0: Continue in our series, hashtag blessed, the Beatitudes of Jesus Christ. We are on the fourth Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they will be filled. And we need to see uh, these Beatitudes, I think, as kind of a progression, a momentum building progression, steps uh, that are connected, not as isolated things. I think that the first three are what happens when we people are empty. What happens when people need. What happens when people hunger and thirst. Right. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are the meek. There's uh, inherently in those statements, in those qualities, in those characters, are people who have an emptiness or who have a lack and. It's in lack, and it's in emptiness. It's in hunger and thirst where we come in touch with our desire. Amen? Desire. And sometimes the church has a strange relationship with desire. We either are really afraid of the desire. You can't want that. You can't want that. You can't see that. You can't watch that. You can't do that. And yet, we need to know That it's the God of creation, the God of the universe, who created the desires of our heart, amen? When we weep, we weep because we're sad, because we long for something, or we've lost something. We weep not just because we have tear ducts and we need to get dust out of our eyes, that's part of it, but also because we have a soul, we have hearts, and we long for things. And we, when we lose things, it breaks our hearts. And we know in, Jesus, uh, in the Gospels that Jesus himself weeps when Lazarus dies and his sisters come to him. He said, if you were here, Lord, he could have been saved. We know you could have healed him. And it says, Jesus wept. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The God of the universe, Jesus Christ Himself, wept. When we hunger and thirst, when my, how many of you uh, get really hungry? And when you're really hungry, you get hangry. <laughs> ha- hangry is hungry plus angry. I know I'm a person who gets hangry and people stay away from me when I need food and I, I've been working and I need, stuff sustenance. Um, but when I was in high school, I wrestled. Um, I wrestled in high school. And in high school wrestling, one of the things that we did, I know there's more rules and regulations nowadays in contemporary high school to protect students from cutting weight and dropping weight. But back in my day, we tried to get a physical advantage by being as light as possible so you can be as strong as possible in your weight class. And so when I was wrestling all through high school, I wrestled at 115 junior and senior years. But in the middle of my junior year, I wanted to cut down to one oh eight. So I because it was a weak weight class in the region and the district, and I, I'd have a better pathway possibly to get to get to state. And so I cut weight to one oh eight, and our team needed it. So I cut weight to one hundred eight. And uh Usually during the week, I'd be around 120 or so, hovering at 120, 125. And when it came to weigh in, I think it was Thursday night matches, I'd have to be at 108. And so the day before, there were times where I'd still come into Thursday needing to lose five pounds in the day. And so, uh, I would put on, well, a lot of us would put on garbage, plastic garbage sacks underneath sweats. And come to school, and we carry the 32-ounce Big Gulps uh, with us to each class. And what we do with those big empty Big gulp cups is we'd spit in them. And we're taking these from class to class in high school, right? I'm sure it impressed the women, right? It's like, hey, look at my hand, Big gulp full of spit. And then you just spit and spit. If you filled that up, right, it's, you know, two or three pounds of saliva, right? And we just pour it out, rinse and repeat, and start again. And then between classes, we'd jump rope, go to the wrestling room, jump rope, do push-ups just to get a sweat going. Basically, we were like sponges, and we'd squeeze that sponge to get every single drop of water out in order to make weight. And I've seen people lose like five pounds in two hours, right, just from jump roping and sweating and spitting. And so it's just crazy. Um and on those days, my friends, they're great friends, mind you, who didn't wrestle would just be eating their snacks, go to lunch in front of me and be like, mmm. And my mouth would, well, if I had any like hydration in me, it, my mouth would water, but I would just like, oh. And when they're eating it, like the temptation was, I'm just going to grab that food and just eat it. Forget it. I don't care. And I don't know if you um, have seen people who are hungry or like, you know, are dieting and the other person across from them is eating just this gourmet meal, just, you know, juicy hamburger or steak and and you're hungry and you want it and you kind of watch them and you're actually making the motions of eating, even though you're not eating anything. As they take a bite, you're like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, oh, so good. And that's what happens. You're so hungry and your stomach is cramping and it's panging and your mouth, you get cotton mouth, right? Because it's so dry and you're like, <laughs> it feels like there's sand in your mouth all day. And uh, my, my uh, kind of routine was to go to Subway after school on the night of the, on the day of the match and get a foot long meatball sandwich. And on this footlong meatball sandwich, I'd get jalapenos, pepperoncinis, you know, olives, extra parmesan. I'd just load it with stuff, which is not a good idea, right? Especially on an empty stomach. I'd weigh in and and I'd make weight, and the first thing after I weighed in, you know, you're qualified, you're good, the ref says you're good to go. I'd just devour that footlong meatball sandwich. And That was not a mistake, because after that, you know what happens. The jalapenos are kicking in in the empty stomach, and you're just getting heartburn, and the acids are flowing. You're just burning inside. And on top of that, all the blood is just rushing down to your stomach, and and then you have to go out and perform and wrestle against someone else, and you're just getting, I just felt sluggish, cramping up. And all the while, just, you know, in the middle of the match, just thirsting, thirsting, and just feeling really weak. I soon learned that crafty re- veteran wrestlers, you eat a little bit and drink a little bit, and you eat after your match, right? Because then you can perform. When you are hungry, and when you, your stomach is a little empty, you have a little hunger, then you have more drive, right? You have more performance, In our lives, don't we experience that spiritually or, you know, as a metaphor? It's the times in our lives when we're a little empty, when we're a little thirsty, when we're a little hungry, where we have more drive, where we have more ambition, where we have more discipline, where we have more focus, where we have more passion. And I think this is what Jesus is alluding to. He's pointing this out. I need people in my community of faith in this God's people, my people, are people who are always hungering and thirsting after righteousness. Always hungering and thirsting after me. I, I want people in my crew, I want my disciples, you know, to have a little chip on their shoulder, right? To have a little need, to have a little, like, I don't have it. And I I want it. I want God. I want to be righteous. Righteousness meaning to be right with God, to be right with people, to, to desire God's will, to embody God's will in our lives. That's righteousness. And Jesus is calling for people hunger and thirst after that. And if you see... The three Beatitudes before that, the Beatitudes before that, those who are meek, those who are poor in spirit, those who are mourn, represent people who have that longing. The poor long and hunger and thirst. Those that mourn long and hunger and thirst. Those that are meek long and hunger and thirst. They're not feeding themselves themselves with the strength and power um, the false strengths and powers of the world of people around them but they're longing for something different something more and it's not quite complete around them but they have vision and hope and faith that it is what should be when we fast we set aside often food and or water or maybe you give up coffee I need to give up you know, my lattes, or you give up streaming Netflix, or you give up this or that. Um, but fasting is taking away, denying yourself something, emptying yourself of that thing that you usually fill your appetites with. Why? Why do we fast? What purpose does it serve? It's the purpose of setting aside some of our physical or emotional desires in order to empty ourselves to receive what we more deeply desire, a word from God, the presence of God, the Holy Spirit doing a work of healing and transformation within us. We desire relationship in the presence of God, a touch, a breath of love from Jesus Christ. If we are full, gluttonous, and fat with a PH, no, with F, we can't be filled, right? If we are empty, we are prepared to be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. And I'll repeat, what is hunger and thirst in the context of the Beatitudes? To hunger and thirst are what those who embody the previous Beatitudes, poor in spirit, those that mourn, those that are meek, um, what it means to hunger and thirst is to embody what those people long for. People who are meek, poor in spirit, and mourn, these people live a life of desperate longing. Desperate longing. They have a profound connection for their need to be filled. And, and, and this is the main idea. This is the character of God. God is in the business of filling. Amen? God is in the business of filling tanks, filling souls, filling our hearts with what we need. God is the one who cooks the meal, right? And sets the family table God provides the abundant, delicious meal. And sometimes we forget that, right? Sometimes we forget that. Like the people of Israel in the desert, in the Exodus. We forget that when we're hungry and starving, and we don't trust that God is going to provide for us. We go after the mirages and the oasis. We think we can get things. Let's go back to Egypt, because at least when we were in Egypt, we got something to eat. Never mind that we were slaves and we were beaten and we weren't free. And God just rescued us and delivered us as we went through the sea. Never mind that. Now I'm hungry again and I don't trust. So I'm going to go eat over here. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to drink from this. And we're like people who are thirsty. And when people look at us, we're actually drinking sand. And we're like, Whoo, I'm drinking, but it's sand. It's sand. And there are so many things in the world, so many alternatives that we turn to. that sand. Or we're eating glass, we're eating rocks, and it doesn't fill us. Well, it will fill our stomachs, right? But it's not good for us. It will kill us. And still, we lack. And still, we need. And still, we want. Are you with me, church? The world is full vampires, right? We think that person over there, or that relationship over there, or that drug over there, or that job, or that money, or that security, or that, or that is going to fill us, right? But actually those things, when they are not of God, or gifts from God, are vampires. They suck the soul out of us. They're soul vampires, right? We've all been in those puppy love relationships in elementary or junior high or high school, or maybe it happened in college, right? Just this, oh, I need her. She's my wind. She's my life. Everything. And you think constantly about that person and you write about that person. You write poems late at night at 3 a.m. Oh, without her, I am nothing, right? I am crawling in a desert. And there she is, low, like a spring of water, coming up. I'm going to drink of her. I need her. I want her. Happy Valentine's Day. It's coming up. And we need that. But people look for each other in those early, in the young love days. And they suck like vampires from each other. There's nothing giving, right? It's sucking. Yeah, I need you. And I need you. What can you give me? I need water. I need because I have cotton mouth, right? Give me those jalapenos, baby. (sighs) Because when we're away from home, from the table of our Father, we forget the taste of that which really fills us. We feel the pangs of hunger, and our mouths begin to dry with thirst. We turn our appetites to alternatives. Food and drink that cannot fill, will not fill. In fact, some suck our souls even more, We are famished in the desert, right? Isaiah 55, why do you spend your money on bread that does not satisfy? Why? All of you who are thirsty and hungry, why are you spending your money on stuff that doesn't fill you? And you may have heard biblical preachers and teachers say that everything... um, In the Old Testament, the law and the prophets point to humans' need for Jesus Christ, right? The law and the Old Testament and everything in the the scriptures point to our need for Jesus. And that's a perspective to take the scriptures and say everything that we read in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus Christ and his salvation. And Jesus himself says... In the Sermon on the Mount, in this very chapter, do you not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I am the fulfillment. Me. Right? I am the bread. I'm the water. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is dismantling legalistic religion. He is actually pushing the threshold and raising the bar. In fact, he says, remember, in chapter 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be perfect? Not only should you not commit adultery, but if you even look at another's wife or husband with lust in your heart, Even in your motivations, right? No one knows. No one sees. You haven't done any actions. Even in your motivations, you've committed adultery. Even if you hate your brother, in your heart, you've committed murder. That's a high bar. And then he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. It's like, I can't do it. I can't do it. It's harder. I can, of course I don't commit adultery. Of course I don't murder. Of course I don't steal. Ten Commandments, I got that. Easy. Easy. Jesus is like, I'm the fulfillment of the law, and it's even more. And be perfect, as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, no, what are we to do? (laughs) Discipleship and right living or righteousness flows from the inside out. This is what Jesus is talking about. It doesn't flow from meticulous observation of external rules or ritual but rather the pursuit of right relationship with God and right relationship with others. Remember the rich young ruler saying, I have followed all the commandments since my youth, but still, what must more must I do? And Jesus is like, sell everything and follow me. Sell everything and follow me. And it says, the man went away sad. And you're like, ah! Left there, you're left hanging. And I think we're left hanging in that passage because the next, the next piece of that of the disciple is to follow Jesus and say, But what do I do? I can't. I can't. This is where I am. And if you remember, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount started in the first place because Jesus goes up on a mountain. It says his disciples came up after him, right? There's a pursuit there of this disciple up the mountain. It ain't no easy to climb a mountain, going to go listen to someone. I'm not going to go listen to anyone up a mountain. It's like someone, some revival, some preacher, apostle came into Seattle and said, I'm hiking up Rainier. And those who want to hear from me, hike up Rainier. I'd be like, bye. Do you have a podcast, you know? So, like, there's a desire, a hunger, and a thirst in disciples because Jesus wants relationship, right? He sets the impossible before us so that we say, oh, I can't do it. And if you remember in the rich young ruler story, the disciples, Jesus says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven than a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And this the guy leaves sad, but his disciples come after and say, then who can be saved, right? What does Jesus say? With people, all things are, it is impossible. With God, all things are possible. And that's what Jesus is saying when he's saying, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. With me, all things are possible. You need to come to me. It's my presence. It's being with me. Hasn't this been the promise all along through scripture? Right? The people of God are like, the promised land, the land, the land, the land of Canaan, the land, the water, the manna, feed us, feed us, for following, the land, the land, when do we get our inheritance? When do I get my blessing? When, when, when? And God is like, My presence goes before you. I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And Jesus here is still saying, I will be with you. I will be with you on the journey. Get it in your head. It's about me. It's about you. It's relational. Discipleship and right living or righteousness flows from the inside out. Does not flow from meticulous observation of external rules or ritual but rather the pursuit of right relationship with God and right relationship with others. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is placing himself as the object of faithful living. The law and the prophets point to, one, our depravity. We can't do it. We are poor in spirit. I I have poverty. I am poor. And two, our utter need. For Jesus as the one who fills us. And this way to hunger and thirst after righteousness is ultimately to hunger and thirst after Jesus, relationally. And here we come to the point of the love story in Scripture. The end of the journey and the promise is his presence. God's presence with his people. God's presence with you relationally and this is really good news right amen for us on the personal level hallelujah but the beatitudes also point us to a more systemic global reality jesus is casting vision for the kingdom reality a reality in which god reigns and people are right with god and right with one another where there is justice and love in the land, where there is shalom, right? We've heard that word before, shalom. Shalom meaning the way things were meant to be, where all humanity, all nations, all peoples are living for the sake of one another, for the good of one another, for the flourishing of one another. In the kingdom of heaven, right living and right character reveal trust in Jesus, and they are the sparks of transforming communities and the renewal of the earth. God is making things new. So put another way, in a world full of vampires and blood-sucking and soul-sucking, God is saying, Jesus is saying, there is another way And the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes is all about Jesus calling him to himself or laying out a vision for, this is what God's people looks like. This is what kingdom people look like, right? And it's an upside-down kingdom, right? And it's going to be hard because the world doesn't work that way. And each of us are afraid that we're going to get taken advantage of, we're going to get stepped on, because Jesus requests of us to be humble, to be meek, to walk the extra mile. All of those things, ah, I'm just trying to survive. That's not going to work for me. I need to be strong. I need to get mine. But Jesus is setting out a vision for this is, this is how people are when God's reign is full and in effect. Amen. It's a kingdom within a kingdom, and it's a hard teaching. It should be a hard teaching. We should urgently pursue righteousness like hungry, thirsty people strive for food and drink. Righteousness becomes the air we breathe, the oxygen we gasp for. Pursuing righteousness means to yearn after God's rule in our lives personally and in the lives of others. As we pursue this discipleship, the Holy Spirit does a work in us to become people that reflect more of Christ's rule in the world. We are transformed to become reflections of the first three Beatitudes, as well as people who embody the teachings in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. People who put aside murder, anger, adultery in our hearts even people who give to uh, people who forgive and pray for oppressors people who love even our enemies and those who hate on us all the haters in the world right the thirsty hungry disciples also pursue hungry thirsty disciples also pursue mercy purity and peacemaking um, that we see in the rest of the Beatitudes to come. This is a really hard one, right? To hunger after righteousness, as it means be a peacekeeper, like be a peacekeeper, or um, to pray and love even those who hate you even in our current, especially in our current situation, right, it's so hard. Right, and I try my best not to like say where I lean or where I stand. I will just say when I watch TV sometimes, the news, oh, I get so frustrated. It's like how can people think so differently? How can people have such different facts? Oh, it's so hard. And it seems like everything in our culture right now is 50-50. 50% 50 is this and 50% of people are that. 50% of Christians think God is like this. 50% of Christians think God is like this. It's so hard. And there's so much vitriol and there's so much hatred. And we're in a place where, you know, no one's ever going to change their mind. Because when you have a critical mass in various areas, there's no mind changing. Only through the work of the Holy Spirit is their mind changing. And I think there's a call for the church in the years to come. And that's us bridge builders and peacekeepers. This is a hard teaching for me because I'd rather be on one side angry. Amen. It's so easy to be like, ooh, that guy, he wrong. <laughs> you know? But what does it mean to be blessed are the meek? Oh. Blessed are the peacekeepers. Oh. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness and building up the righteous community of God, which means reconciled community. A community where we look after the flourishing of the other, even the stranger, even the different. <sighs> Especially if you feel that your background and your, your experiences in life have meant, oh, I have had to lay things down. I have lost, I have lost. I've had things taken from me. I have been treated with unjust- injustice. I have been oppressed. I'm always laying down. And now the call (laughs) is to lay down. No. 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 And this is why I think things like the churches pursuing racial justice and racial reconciliation and pursuing um, justice Compassion and Mercy Ministries is more than just activity. It's actually spiritual formation. When we pursue racial justice, it's actually spiritual formation. And we're so used to, we grew up in churches saying, oh, if I do my quiet times and I pursue my personal rightness with God, that's going to shape me. Yes, that's part of your disciplines. That's part of growing up in Christ, but we need to move beyond adolescence as a church, amen? It's not just our personal righteousness or personal rightness when we're alone in our closet with God praying. Is this not the fast that I want for you? Right. I don't care about your ceremonies and your rituals and your worship. What I care about is you loose the chains of the oppressed. You give to those in need. And that's what the church, I think, needs to open our eyes to. Is that actually, we grow in maturity and spiritual formation when we pursue God's righteousness and shalom, right? Spiritual formation through racial righteousness and reconciliation. That's what I got, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Beatitudes uh, that lay out for us not, not a blueprint or kind of a, a, a uh, what do you call it, a manual for how to be good Christians, but rather much bigger than that, laying out a culture, an ethos, a vision for kingdom living where you are reigning and in control and changing the world at its foundations. and We want to be a part of that. We want to live as citizens in that kingdom. We want to hunger and thirst after you. And the times where we forget when things are going well in our own lives and we forget about our hunger and thirst, I pray that you give us the hard teaching or the reminder that we need you and that you are the one who fills us. Jesus' name, amen.